0: Welcome to Stork Storytime Talks with the North Liberty Library. Are you expecting or growing your family? If so, this podcast is for you. Delivering literacy, one topic at a time. This episode is sponsored by Mercy Iowa City. We invite you to like and subscribe to our talks podcast wherever you listen. I'm Kelly with North Liberty Library, And I welcome you to the Stork Storytime Talks podcast. February is American Heart Month, a time to raise awareness about heart health and cardiovascular disease. My guest for this episode is Kelly McDonald, an event sourcing consultant here in the corridor. A mother of one, Kelly's son was diagnosed with a condition called discontinuous pulmonary artery shortly after he was born. That was the impetus for Kelly's ongoing support of the Johnson County Chapter of the American Heart Association. She has dedicated herself to the organization in several capacities, serving on committees for the annual Heart Walk and the executive leadership team for the Go Red for Women Luncheon. Today, she has been gracious enough to share her son's story of hope and faith. In an effort to bring a larger awareness to heart health welcome kelly thanks for joining us today hi kelly thanks for having me absolutely well again i want to thank you for joining us and uh sharing what you're about to share uh, about your son but please tell us a bit more about you and your family
1: sure so my husband son and i we live in north liberty We, uh, my husband and I met at college at the University of Iowa and moved back to the area in 2008. We uh, got married and a few years later had a kid. So we are happy North Liberty residents, love the library and all of the resources you all provide. So thank you for that. I work out of my home. Luckily, I worked out of my home pre-COVID and during COVID I've been able to keep working at home, which has been super helpful with uh, my son doing online learning. So My family is not far from North Liberty in Eastern Iowa, and I grew up in the Clear Creek and School District, and I've been working in meetings and events for several years, I think over 15 now.
0: Awesome. Sounds good. Now, as I mentioned at the top, you have a personal and poignant experience to share uh, when it comes to heart health. Please share with us the story of your son's condition.
1: Sure. So our son, Henry, was born early in June 2010 so he came started to arrive about five weeks early and he was born a preemie but unbeknownst to us he also had a congenital heart defect now that was not something we knew before he was born that's a question we get a lot it's like did you know before that he had a problem and no we didn't I think we did have a couple extra ultrasounds just to check on some conditions, but his defect in particular was not found in utero. So he was born to us and was in the NICU. And, you know, I thought my biggest concern was his jaundice that we were facing. But it wasn't until, I can't remember exact days now, it was, you know, 10 years ago. But it was a very uh, well-trained fellow at the time that heard the murmur in his heart, which again is common in preemies, but they decided to investigate a little bit more with an echo. And one of our dear friends now, Roger Browning with the University of Iowa, was able to, with his eagle eye, determine that there was more going on with Henry's heart. So it was a few days into life that he was diagnosed with the congenital heart defect. It was a very rare defect where he was missing a tiny piece of his right pulmonary artery. So artery that connects your heart to his right lung. I can't remember the exact distance, but you know little, but big enough <laughs> to be an issue. So we kind of did all the exploratory tests that we had to do. He had some casts his first few days of life, and they were hoping to get a temporary solution in place, but that calf did not go as planned. So we were actually able to take him home without any intervention at first. It was, yeah, so here's a defect, this is what we think. The way his surgeon described it to us is that the condition itself was not entirely unknown, but the repair they were going to try on him was undocumented. So there were no case studies of a repair like this anywhere that they could find. So we were able to take him home. We took him back, you know, like you do with newborns, but like you really do with preemies and those with CHD you have a lot of appointments. So I think it was maybe on our one week checkup with cardiology, we went back and he had gone into hypertension. And so I'm having like all these flashbacks now. It's like, you go to the doctor, you get the tests done. It's never good if they come back right away. <laughs> that's what I <I've> learned. <laughs> and I was gonna ask, because
0: they weren't able to detect this in utero, all of this happening, and this is your first child. Yes. Just compounding with that anxiety that's already there. You have this. Mm -hmm. At this point, how are you and your husband kind of maintaining?
1: Oh, gosh. You know, probably a blessing it was our first child because we didn't know any differently. So that just kind of became our normal. It's like, well, this is what we're dealing with. You know, in retrospect, throughout the whole process, I was severely depressed. Like, I couldn't go outside. I couldn't listen to music. I had to, like, physically touch my husband to, like, feel okay. He had to tell family and friends don't call the house because whenever the phone rang, I thought it was a hospital. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So um, that was tough. But when we took him back for that first week, he was in hypertension. And so the doctors came back, like, we got to do these tests. And the treatment for that ended up being just an oxygen cannula. So he had to go on oxygen. So we went from the home, from the hospital with nothing, just this tiny little baby that was, you know, under five pounds. And then after that, he was on oxygen and the plan was always when he was about 10 pounds or three months old, kind of around that range, Dr. James Davis would go and perform the surgery. And so we took him home on oxygen and just kind of dealt with life, you know, we still had wonderful friends that would come by and bring us food, which was just amazing and send their well wishes. But again, I was in a state where like I didn't really want to leave the house. You know, I would take them for walks. I had this sort of it wasn't shame over the oxygen. I just didn't want pity from people. Like I know I am like, oh you're poor kid, you know? And I remember one time my sister-in-law came down and she's like, that's it, we're going. She's like, I'm gonna take you. we went to Crow Ridge Mall because my husband was playing hockey there. And she's like, I know that it's hard, but you just got to do it once and then we'll, it'll get easier. So that was a huge turning point for me. Like, okay, I can do this. It's just an oxygen tank. He's fine. We can go around. So we managed our life for that. We lived in a split level townhome and we had one oxygen device. I don't know. It wasn't a, we had tanks for when we went out, but at that in the house, we had a machine He'd lug that upstairs to go to bed, take it downstairs during the day. You'd have oxygen tubes running all over the house. So it was a lot. And he had to change it out. And his poor baby skin would get sensitive from the stickers. Yeah. And at this point, he was just a few weeks old. Yeah, this would be from when he was born. So maybe two weeks post-birth because he was in the hospital for a week. Okay. And then he was home. And then there was a hypertension diagnosis. And so then it was until he was three months old, which ended up being in September. So we were born end of June. So in September, he kind of hit that three month, ten pound benchmark, and they're like, "Okay, we're scheduling the surgery." And so we scheduled the surgery. It was September twenty second, two thousand ten. Wow. And he had his procedure. Now, how did
0: you and your husband manage through that crucial time of the diagnosis where you've reached this threshold, your son is three months old at this point, and you're sending this small baby into surgery? Did you have the support of your medical team? I know you've had the support of your family, you mentioned your sister-in-law. What did your support system look like during that time?
1: Well, it was immense. And I would say, you know, my family, they live close by. And so my parents and my sister, our son's godfather was instrumental. All of them were just, you know, always, what can I do to help? Bringing out, you know, food. I keep mentioning that, but that's a huge thing. Like, not having to worry about what you're going to eat for dinner when you get home from the hospital, when your son's still there, or like, you know, my son's godfather would bring energy bars over. He's like, here's a box of energy bars. I had a nurse in the hospital that I went to high school with. She would bring me a trail mix and then a journal, which was super helpful because she's yeah. like, You're gonna be in rounds every day. You're gonna have questions you think of in the middle of the night. She was mm-hmm. use this journal. And that was huge. That was a big help. So, you know, family and friends, and they were just getting us through it and day by day, I guess. Because everyone was scared.
0: Yeah. And you know, that's the tough part is that especially your family and close friends. They have to kind of walk this balance where they're concerned about your well-being, of course, Mm -hmm. but they're also trying to manage their own feelings about them. So did Mm -hmm. you have any particular challenges with that, like managing the expectations of your family and close friends during this time?
1: I have this personality trait where I kind of shut down a little bit Mm -hmm. and I don't want... Too many people around. Like the day of the surgery, I'm like, I don't want to see my parents. I don't want to see my sister because I think it would have been harder on me. Right. To like see their fear and their concern on top of mine. Yes. And so they still went to the hospital and I kind of laughed because they went to the hospital. My husband and I kind of had a routine when our son was in a procedure. Like there was a meditation garden we used to go walk around. We would go up to the roof of the hospital and We just walked around the hospital waiting for the doctors to page us, you know, like old school pagers, which we always called my husband paging Dr. Rad because he would wear (laughs) his pager with such pride. And the day of the surgery, we accidentally bumped into my parents and my sister. And I remember my sister grabbing them, like, turn around, turn around, (laughs) turn around. And it ended up being fine. It was just kind of my coping mechanism where I just wanted to be with my husband.
0: Tell me a bit about some of the lessons that you learned during that initial period from the time that your son was born to the time that he went in for surgery at three months.
1: You know, I think it's all in retrospect now because at the time it was day by day, Mm -hmm. you know, hour by hour, do what you can. I think all new parents have to deal with that. Like, it's okay that your house isn't clean. Like, you literally just have to get through the day if that's feeding your kid and then you know, taking a nap and then feeding them again, (laughs) going to bed, that's what you have to do. But patience with yourself rely on people for help that can push you. I think that you're absolutely right. Friends and family, like, they have this really hard line to walk on because they don't want to push too hard, but they want to make sure you're taken care of. So I would say just being transparent and then, you know, asking for help. So even after everything we went through and after the surgery. Yeah, tell I still, me a bit about what happened after the surgery. So he goes in, mm-hmm. and then what
0: was the follow-up after?
1: So he went in at like, I don't know, 7 a.m. It was early in the morning, and thank God I had one aunt that worked in the hospital and then another friend of the family that worked there, and they both came in because I'm in tears, you know, of course. I just sure. handed over my yeah. baby for open-heart surgery, and my husband went with them because I didn't want to go in there. So he stayed with Henry while he was getting his anesthesia, so I had those nurses, which was great. And then it was that it seemed like it was supposed to take much longer than it did. But basically, we get a call from Dr. Davis's support team. They're like, everything went well. We, they went into surgery, not necessarily knowing which procedure they were going to do. They had plan A, which they wanted to do, and then plan B. And they were able to do plan A, but they just didn't know that until they got in there. So they said plan A worked. And so then we went up to the NICU and talked to the surgeon and talked to our cardiologist and all of that. And then post-surgery, he was in the PICU, so Pediatric Intensive Care Mm -hmm. Unit, for, I want to say a week is all, Kelly. It wasn't as long as you would think, but that was up and down. That was hard, and they did warn us about that, that it would be up and down, like sometimes his levels would drop, or his oxygen level would drop, or something would drop, and all the alarms would go off, and they would come rushing in, and... I remember one time we were, you know, kind of feeling in the clear like, oh, we had a successful surgery. He's been in recovery for three or four days. Everything's going well. And our friends and family are like, hey, let's go to the vine. Just come and have, you know, a little celebratory drink. So we're like, yeah, we can do that. Talk to the PICU nurses. They're like, yes, absolutely go. And it was probably 10 minutes before we left where his, um, some level dropped. I think he was having a bad reaction to the morphine. All these alarms are going off. You're not going to leave your kid. So it was just a very emotional roller coaster. Yeah, but he's tough, you know. And he's hooked up to all these machines. And I think it was just one week. It might have even been six days post surgery. He was able to go home. He went home without any oxygen, without any medication. He might have been on baby aspirin for a while. I can't remember. But a miracle. I mean, the surgeon performed this procedure that had never been documented done before. My son is now a case study in this American thoracic surgery journal. So there's a case study with his, you know, pictures, what they did. So, you know, the hope is that he can help other kids that may be born with this and they don't have a nice solution. So, and we're lucky with Henry because a lot of the times if they do see this condition, the thing is, if it's the right pulmonary artery, it's harder to fix because it's offset a little bit more. Could be saying this wrong. If it's a left pulmonary, it's easier to fix, but usually comes with other heart defects. If it's the right, it's harder to fix, but doesn't typically have any other defects, which is the one that we were in. So basically, they use his own tissue and then donor tissue. So please consider being a tissue and organ donor to grow his artery. And, you know, we used to go back post-surgery, we'd go back, you know, however weeks and then months and then a year and we are on yearly visits for quite some time but in the past so it would be since 2018 we've been on every two years which is just like a big jump so
0: good he
1: goes so, back to his cardiologist every two years now so
0: tell me a bit about Henry now is there any medication that he has to continue to be on any kind of therapy mm-hmm. is he limited sure. in physical activity tell us a bit about what life is like yeah. for Henry now because he's 11 he's almost
1: 11 yep he'll be 11 11 in June yeah so he is you know super fortunate he's not on any medication my husband and I kind of bicker about this one he doesn't have any strict restrictions of course my mother's ear remembers the one time his cardiologist said if it was my son I would steer him away from contact sports so no football no Mm -hmm. hockey things like that and that's not really to do with his heart it's to do with the fact that his sternum was broken So it's inherently weaker because it's been cracked open. So luckily, he's not super interested in that much to his godfather's chagrin. He doesn't care for football. (laughs) uh, (laughs) My son doesn't either. He's 14. He doesn't either. (laughs) But no, he doesn't have any restrictions. You can't tell him from any other child. Like he's a tall kid. He's a Bigger kid for his age. He's well within his growth charts. He was never on the growth charts to start, but ever since he has been, he's met at the top. And his cardiologist last year, yeah, in 2020, he's like, oh man, this kid's going to be like six foot two. (laughs) He's a swimmer. He loves swimming, which is perfect. He's got um, great exercise, great cardiovascular exercise, but no restrictions as far as that goes. It really just has to do with the contact sports and the sternum concerns.
0: Him being a case study, setting a precedent this procedure as you mentioned that's going to be very helpful should these cases arise again for other incidents. so his experience is helping others and as i said at the top in the intro your activity and your involvement in aha is definitely helpful tell me how did you get in contact with the johnson county chapter of the organization
1: Sure. I was volunteering with Johnson County AHA actually before Henry was born. And a lot of my reasons for getting into that had to do with just family history of heart disease. My dad had a heart attack in 1998 while we were on spring break in Florida. And so I just always had a connection to want to serve that organization. So I was helping with the luncheon in particular before all of this happened. Mm -hmm. And then post Henry's birth and story, we got even more involved, as you can imagine, because now it's my little baby that (laughs) is getting me to have the passion behind it. So we've worked with them a lot. He was actually the featured walker, if you will, at the 2012 Heart Walk. We've done some passion speaking for them at Heart Galas and other events. Usually my husband does that because he can keep more of a steady voice (laughs) and presentation throughout the whole thing. I tend to break up a little bit, even, you know, 11 years later, it's still hard to talk about. But, you know, ever since that, I just like to stay involved. And I love to help with the luncheon. And the Heart Walk is a perfect opportunity for people that want to help as well. And they are going to do a virtual Heart Walk this year and, you know, during COVID and everything, but that's going to be in May.
0: That is fantastic. What is your advice for new parents or even parents with infants who are experiencing CHD with their children, what is your nugget of wisdom or nuggets of wisdom that you would want to share with them? I have to thank you in advance. Again, I'm going to thank you another time before we close up for sharing the story, because it's not easy for parents and mothers especially to share these kinds of stories, but you've so bravely shared it, and you've used it as a platform to continue your involvement with AHA. What are your words for parents who are going through this or who may go through this?
1: Mm-hmm. I think my advice is, as cliche as it may sound, you're not alone. You know, we were kind of alone because of his condition being so rare. But there is a community. Henry surgeon has unfortunately passed away a few years ago. Started a Facebook group, Iowa Kids with Congenital Heart Defects. It's not super active right now, but it is out there. If you have questions, people will engage with you. Mm-hmm. There's a beautiful organization through the university called Heart Friends, and that is just an amazing place to go for camaraderie. They have camps out there for kids with CHD, you know, scholarships, everything available. The Heart Friends group in our area, in Iowa City area, they have picnics and get together, you know, it's pre-COVID, of course, but just opportunities to network with other families like your own. There is a lot of help out there. I mean, seek therapy <laughs> for yourself mm-hmm. because was extremely helpful for me and continues to be. I still use some of the tools that they gave me when I started therapy. Two of the tools I use a lot is, is it helpful? Is it harmful? Is it possible? Or is it probable? Right? So I'm much better now. I used to get severe anxiety leading up to his doctor's appointments where I would think, okay, everything's great, but what could go wrong? This could go wrong, you know, and just learning to manage that and manage your own anxiety is super important. And then finding people that have gone through something similar that could help you. And there are a lot of resources out there. And if you don't know where to go, go to the AHA. Go to the American Heart Association of Iowa, and they can help connect you. They're a very compassionate group of people. And even if it's not AHA health, they know people at Mercy, at Iowa, at St. Luke's, that, that can help connect you with the right people.
0: Yep, and you just answered my last question. I was going to ask about where folks can find more information about AHA and the Johnson County chapter, and we'll be Mm -hmm. sure to put that in the show notes as well. So thank you so much for joining us today. This is Kelly from the North Liberty Library. And today on the Stork Storytime podcast, we had the pleasure of speaking with Kelly McDonald, who was again so brave and so gracious mm-hmm. to share the story of her son, Henry, and CHD. We thank also Mercy Iowa City, our sponsor for this. Feel free to visit us at NorthLibertyLibrary.org to learn more about our library virtual programming and services. Thanks again to our sponsor, Mercy Iowa City.